Welcome back, everybody, to the Kala Podcast. We deliver campus news and provide entertainment for the Honolulu Community College campus. I'm your host, Chris. Along with me are my co-hosts, Alan and Bryson. Hello. Aloha. Uh, quick few reminders uh, for returning students and new students. Whenever you're coming to campus, make sure to use the Lumensite app. You can access it at uh.campus.lumensite.com. Make sure to wear a mask, and if you are looking to make appointments with your counselors or the bookstore, you guys can access them and start balance. For more campus information and updates and available services, visit honolulu.hawaii.edu slash COVID-19 services. Joining us for this episode is a distinguished professor at Honolulu Community College, Mr. Nico. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. It's awesome we're here. So, uh, I guess this is our first introduction to you. So, if you could tell us a bit about yourself, that'd be great. Sure. Um, well, I have um, been teaching visual arts, studio art, and art appreciation, communication art classes um, early on. And uh, I started in um, 1999. So I've been um, at Honolulu Community College since uh, for for the last 20, 20 almost twenty one years, and um, I'm originally uh, from Iran, um, uh, but I spent most of my life in the United States, most of uh, that particular portion of my life in Hawaii. Um, I moved to Hawaii in nineteen eighty five or 86 that's a long time ago and i've been um, establishing myself here my family uh, ever since i graduated from uh, windward community college in liberal arts and university of hawaii at manoa in fine arts with a bachelor's degree and then i um, earned my uh, master's degree at San Francisco State University in California and I came back here and I've been um, teaching uh, you know ever since anything else <laughs> how did your um, passion for you know digital art and uh, photography uh, first come okay um, well uh, when I started uh, taking pictures, uh, digital photography was at its infancy. It was very young and people didn't like it. Photographers didn't like digital photography. They never took it seriously. It was only used uh, by uh, the military and um, research uh, you know, components of our government. Um, and it was just a, a laboratory thing. It wasn't a serious thing. and. Um, so I started with um, analog and chemical-based photography at uh, Windward Community College with Mark Masaki. He was my uh, professor. Um, how did I find I love photography? When I switched from um, computer programming, that was my major, to photography. Um, do I regret it now? I don't know. But um, back then, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> um, I spent hours and hours in um, a photography laboratory and I never felt tired. So if you do something without getting paid for and you keep doing it and you do more of it and you become obsessed with it, you realize that um, there's a 
definitely a, a love relationship uh, that you have to respect. And um, so that's that's how it happened. I, I realized photography was the thing. Uh, visual arts in general um, was always close to my heart. And um, when I uh, decided to uh, choose a major at University of Hawaii Manoa, I uh, submitted my portfolio to the art department because when you move up from uh, 200 level courses into 300 level courses, you have to submit a portfolio. They don't accept just everybody. Uh, you have to be, um, you have to show some promise um, and not just interest, but serious commitment to your major. And that's how they looked at my portfolio. They interviewed me and they decided that um, that's for me to continue. And they took chances on me. And um, I don't think I disappointed them, at least in terms of uh, becoming a uh, you know, photography and art uh, instructor. So I got a question. Sure. With your um, passion for art, what do you what do you see in um, the importance of photography and art for you? Oh, okay. Um, well, to be honest, uh, photography uh, came to me relatively very easily. I, I worked hard on um, learning the skills, but uh, the chance or you know the lucky part or the chance aspect of photography which we all experience on occasions uh, was uh, something I could not overlook um, every time I took photographs I you know I and I showed my photographs to my friends and uh, professors and classmates it seemed like that they approved of it and they thought I was doing really really well so um, having that response from the public and having um, your photographs shown in uh, exhibitions uh, locally, especially through University of Hawaii and other publications at the time when I was um, attending University of Hawaii Manoa, um, sort of, you know, kind of be became my uh, source of energy and uh, inspiration. So I continued on that route. But at the same time, um, I was very much interested in history, um, history of uh, visual arts and reading philosophy of uh, not only visual arts, but generally speaking, I was uh, a good student of history and philosophy. So that really helped. Um, and uh, basically, I it's just like when you do gardening, you, you just plant flowers and you plant seeds and you just uh, tend to, um, you know, uh, the growth and uh, and then it becomes enriched over time. It becomes better and better. Uh, you enculturate yourself um, through education. So I, I don't know if I'm answering your question kind of lost track of what the uh, original question was but i kind of got involved with the passion uh, that i had uh, right right so um you know when uh, the opportunity uh, uh presented itself for me to work at honolulu community college um, um i decided to um you know to uh, joined the uh, teaching faculty uh, at the art department. We had a pretty good 
a group of uh, professors back then uh, teaching art and communication arts. Um, uh, a gentleman by the name, a professor by the name of Bud Brooks, I don't know if you guys know him, but he retired um, about, I think, 10, 12 years ago. Um, he was um, an amazing uh, photography teacher, and um, he was responsible for, uh, you know, moving... Uh, um, Honolulu Community College from uh, vet laboratory, a photography laboratory uh, setups into uh, digital. So what we have today as a communication arts program at Honolulu Community College was uh, founded by uh, Bud Brooks. And uh, uh, Sandy Sampe was also um, there, um, a gentleman by the name of Kaiser. Um, who unfortunately passed a few years ago. Um, so these were, uh, you know, quite important professors in, in Hawaii, in, uh, not only uh, in terms of community colleges, but in terms of the profession of uh, photography and arts. So I felt I was in really good company. And uh, Marcia uh, Roberts-Deutsch, uh, who just retired last year, uh, she was there. She was um, a Punahou graduate and um, Harvard-educated professor. I mean, you had quality uh, here at Honolulu Community College. It's kind of hard to believe that such a uh, relatively a small college, a community college, had such quality to offer. Um, and uh, so I, I, I didn't have to think twice when I uh, joined the faculty, and um, the rest is history, basically. It's amazing to know that there's these many, many uh, amazing professors at HUC. And yes. you're one of them now. Yes. Uh, and when I was at UH Manoa, I remember my professor, uh, Professor Gay Chan, uh, in one of our classes was mentioned, Bud Brooks said, if we want to get into digital photography in the future, as I said, it was very young. I mean, we are talking about late 19, oh, actually, uh, early 1990s. And um, so I heard the name Bud Brooks at that point, and I did not get to meet him until like six or seven years later, but I knew about him. And uh, my professor at UH said, if you guys want to continue in um, serious commercial and professional photography, you have to go see Bud Brooks and take classes with him, despite the fact that he's a community college teacher. So um, yeah, we had uh, such quality to be very proud of. Unfortunately, over time, because of the budget cuts, uh, we lost all that, uh, those great professors, uh, their places was never filled, and the positions were never open, but that's another story for another day. Maybe you can take over. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the topic of teaching, um, how were you able to move your class to online format because of the pandemic? Okay, um, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know if it's a character thing or it's a, a personality thing or professional thing. I don't know. But I always like to um, have plans uh, B and C. You know, anytime I design a course, I always had uh, other plans uh, to back up that course. So when we were teaching our face-to-face -face classes, I was already teaching online. I was teaching um, uh, Introduction to Visual Arts, which is Art 101. And when I developed that course all by myself, going back to, I think it was um, the year 2008 or 9, 
sometimes around that that period. Um, I created a, a, you know, I don't know what you call it, a shadow course uh, in terms of all my visual arts classes. So every time I uh, design a course to teach, I was um, I also designed a mirror image of that course on La Lima. So thank God for La Lima because it's a it's a wonderful wonderful tool, and um, it's an open source, uh, you know. Platform for us to use, and it's a wonderful, um, you know, place to be because it would allow you to expand your course and design it the way you like it. It has many um, hidden, uh, you know, tools and possibilities, potentials that you can explore. So I had already um, an online, uh, a mirror course for my photography classes, but. I did not have all of my lectures um, on um, that website. So um, all I had to do was basically to find um, proper sources uh, for the techniques I was teaching in my face-to-face -face classes. And um, thank God for um, digital technology and um, uh, you know, access to online sources. And these are um, basically open source, uh, you know, uh, resources you can go to and freely uh, take advantage of. And um, anytime you lose access to one, you can move on to another, um, maybe even better source um, to, um, to work with. Uh, one thing I realized that there is no way that I could get the funding to create um, presentations that are highly technical. Uh, for my class. Uh, so um, I decided to spend hours and research um, online sources. And through those um, hours of research, I found, um, you know, multiple high quality sources that if I had to make that video for my class, I had to spend uh, somewhere around $10,000, $15,000 to make that video. And having the equipment uh, to, to show the students what um, is possible would have been impossible because um, the school wasn't feeling, I mean, they don't, they don't have the money, so we can't really ask them for money. So um, that really helped to develop the course online, um, having wonderful resources to go to. Um, then it became a matter of organization. We just had to organize the course. And um, I'm on the side of simplicity, but uh, class um, and elegance. So when you design something that, that is elegant as class, and it's easy to understand and follow, then uh, you find um, people who are willing to take chances on you. And um, they're willing to invest their time, uh, money, and energy on uh, becoming uh, a part of your uh, your course. So that's why um, uh, my photography classes seem to be one of uh, you know amongst uh, the most popular courses on our campus. And I'm very happy about that, and I appreciate every single student who signed up for my class. So it wasn't too hard for me, but I know other uh, my my colleagues. Um, some some of my colleagues had a hard time. Uh, to quickly adjust and move on to, um, you know, online uh, platforms. It's not an easy task, but I was lucky. Um, 
and uh, that I was always fascinated with technology and I enjoyed uh, working with technology. I don't think of technology as um, high technology as um, a nuisance or um, an anti-humanity uh, thing. I think it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's our salvation. Um, I think with good technology, we can actually uh, solve a lot of our problems. I hope I answered your question. No, you answered fine, yeah. Okay. yeah. Answered wonderfully. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, so, I'll go. Well, were there any struggles that students experienced during the online uh, courses? Okay, um, that's a good question, uh, Alan. Um, well, before the pandemic, um, we had two, at least two groups of students. There may be more, but the, the two that I could uh, see, one group was completely comfortable with online education. Um, they know how to dedicate their time, organize, and discipline themselves um, learning online. So they had no problem. But um, a greater number of students did not have that uh, background. So for them was a rude awakening. It was, it was a slap in their face, wake up, you know, and you have to get online. And then how are you gonna do it? How are you gonna discipline yourself? So I think the greatest challenge as opposed to be placed on um, instructors um, was placed on students um, to learn how to discipline themselves, how to manage their time. Because time management is really important for online education. Um, a lot of people in the beginning um, of online education and its development, they thought that online teaching is a joke. Um, it's not serious. But then when you actually take an online class and you're expected to perform, um, take exams or produce work, you realize that um, the expectations, if not the same, if not higher, they're pretty much the same as your face-to-face -face classes. So, um, you know, I think my students, uh, the first semester in spring, last spring, they had a hard time, many of them did, uh, to move up to um, online uh, learning. But then um, many of them today I see um, have adjusted very quickly. And um, the only thing I think most students have problem with and they want to, uh, you know, they want to have uh, clear and very fast open channel of channels of communication uh, with the, with instructors a lot of students um, feel disappointed and disenchanted when they email their professors and they don't get responses um, so one of the things I learned in early um, 2000 when you University of Hawaii Manoa had um, um, courses on online teaching they were actually they recruited uh, volunteers from the faculty of different campuses and they were teaching them what online education is. That was really new, okay? And uh, this was the time early 2000, uh, like 2002, I think, or 2001. Um, I was traveling in Europe and I was uh, working for Honolulu Community College. So I decided to sign up uh, for um, that online class that UH was um, experimenting with. And I, took the course and I traveled during summer summertime. I traveled to um, Europe, going from one country to another. And um, 
responding to my teachers' uh, questions and uh, doing homework uh, from online classes. And I found out how wonderful it was. I could be anywhere in the world and still, uh, you know, commit myself to um, taking the class. The challenge was, of course, different keyboards in different countries was really hard um, to work with every time I went to one of those uh, internet cafes. Um, I don't know what they call them now these days. But uh, so other than that, what really... Um, impressed me the fact that the instructor there was a woman I forgot her name but uh, she was really good one of the things that really impressed me was that every time I asked ask her a question doesn't matter it didn't matter when in, during the day it was or at night she seemed to be always on the computer responding I once even made a joke that you're probably taking your shower and responding to your students. So the fact that I got responses back very quickly, like within an hour, um, helped me to solve my problem. So small obstacles wouldn't become big hurdles and uh, stop me from enjoying my education. And um, I took that to heart. So um, now when my students ask me questions, I try to respond to them very quickly. That's one lesson I think many of um, old timers faculty should learn and um, make the communication uh, as clear and as fast as possible. When the students have access to their professors and they get responses, um, they calm down and they can move on um, with their projects and classes. So. Um, that seems to be the only challenge of communication with students uh, that I can, you know, name. Uh, and then, of course, the usual um, discipline, how to manage your time. Uh, managing time is not easy. Even if you take face-to-face -face classes, you may not be able to manage your time. And um, that's an issue mm, I would suggest that um, our universities and colleges to uh, make mandatory uh, courses for students to take the first year they come to college how to survive and how to thrive uh, in you know your college education I mean that's a course that I I, I think if I don't know if it, it, it does exist or not but if there is such a course to teach students how to manage their time how to attend classes how to take notes how to fulfill their assignments and projects um, that would be a great course to take I think for everybody and then when they learn that everything else becomes uh, just piece of cake in my opinion anyways do you have a preference for online or face-to-face? -face? Because I know most students would probably prefer face-to-face. -face. Yes. Well, um, I should be honest with you. Um, on one hand, I think online education is wonderful for some people, especially people who have jobs. They work during the day. They cannot afford the luxury of being in a classroom face-to-face -face classroom so it's wonderful for them um, but online education is not for everybody and as a teacher who was always in love with um, teaching I mean I was a teenager I was thinking about becoming a teacher and then I became uh, an adult and I was thinking about becoming a teacher even when I was in college I was spending my money on collecting books and videos and tapes that I could use in my future classrooms so <laughs> You know, you know, you, you know, you really like something when you start investing your time and money on it um, without having to do that. So my, the, the 
performance aspect. It's just like when you're a performer, you're a musician, you're an actor, when you go on stage, you really, everything you do throughout your life is for that one hour that you spend on stage. Um, when, when that performance uh, becomes uh, the rush of your day, okay, um, then uh, you kind of get addicted to it. It's very addictive, especially if you feel that you do well uh, when you're performing. So to be honest with you, I, would, I love face-to-face teaching. I think it's wonderful to be able to um, see uh, students' faces in person, um, you know, ask them questions, respond to their questions, play games with them, let them play games with you. You know, it's, it's really wonderful. Um, but uh, it's become luxury um, at this time during this pandemic. So I can't really, um, um, you know, have a preference. I mean, I can have a preference. I have a preference for face-to-face classes, but um, it, it's not possible at this time. I mean, the, the pros and cons, you know, the, the, the pros of online education right now outweigh um, the cons of your question. Yeah, yeah, that was perfect one answer. Do you, do you see uh, your classes being uh, more available online in the future or uh, would you prefer to go back to a more face-to-face uh, class? Well, um, yeah, um, I mean, thank God for um, the multitude of people, tastes, and opportunities. Because of that multitude, we are not limited to just the narrow, um, you know, venue of possibilities. Um, because of that multitude of possibilities, I don't think we have to choose one or the other. We could have both. So I'm gladly ready to teach face-to-face and online classes. As I said, there are at least two types of people could have, you know, be. You have your clients. You have your uh, patrons. Um, some patrons would love to, um, uh, you know, take courses at night. Um, they don't want to come to to your campus because they're working during the day. So we cater to them, and then we can also cater to uh, folks who um, like to come to our campuses. And I mean, yes. So I can't deny the fact that when I have my students on campus face to face, during the class time, I can ask them to take their cameras and go outside. I go outside with them on campus, on the on the mall, and start taking pictures. That was one of the uh, most favorite activities we had in my classes, my face-to-face classes. I cannot do that right now uh, because um, students are uh, autonomous. They're pretty much on their own uh, with the exception of um, a live meeting that we have. Uh, and I record that meeting on Lalima. It's just like Zoom, but it's Lalima embedded. Uh, program. Uh, it's a meeting program. Um, so students show up. Um, one class shows up on Tuesdays at night, seven o'clock, and we run that class up to 10, 1030. They don't have to attend, but if they do attend, they um, get credit for it, um, extra credit, and um, that is recorded and then shared with the, with the class afterwards. But uh, the importance of being able to analyze those photographs. I mean, I'm just talking about photography in this case. So I look at the assignments they turn in. I have to study the metadata for every photograph. Uh, Metadata, um, you folks probably know, um, contains all the 
um, you know, information about um, the camera, about the time of the day, um, and um, the aperture, shutter speed, um, ISO, whatever uh, technical information I need is embedded in the metadata of every single photograph. So I spend a lot of time studying um, the metadata of my students' photographs. I take notes, and on um, the live meeting on La Lima, um, I go over that information. So I tell them you need to do more of this and do less of that, or uh, don't do this, do that. So um, when they go and review uh, the uh, study of their work um, and then follow the instructions and advices of uh, their faculty, their instructor, uh, hopefully they improve. But uh, what is missing is the fun of actually being there and taking pictures on campus. So I miss that. Uh, I can't deny the fact that face-to-face -face, uh, classes could be a lot more fun. So for those that are um, that don't know, and for people listening on the podcast that are interested, um, could you give us a brief rundown on what digital imaging technology is and what you teach in your class? Okay, that's a really good question, Bryson. Um, well, the whole idea of technology scares people, but um, digital photography or digital imaging is created in the image of analog photography. So if you are an um, old school photographer, that means you're more, um, you, you have more years uh, living on this planet. You probably remember uh, the time of uh, chemical-based photography and it was so um, easy for, for almost anybody to take camera and take pictures and take out the film, give it to uh, Long's Drugstore, for example, to process or one of these uh, print shops um, commercially available. Um, so that era is behind us, more or less, okay? There's some professional photographers who still, um, you know, use film photography and they're, you know, they're totally devoted to film photography even today. But um, digital photography has increased the um, democratic aspect of photography. By democratic, I mean the majority. That means the majority of people, um, even though um, they're not um, skilled in that particular branch of knowledge, they could take a camera and press a button, just point it at some, something or someone and press the button. The camera or the phone camera can take over and automatically take a, an image. Now, that image may not be artistically or um, graphically uh, magnificent, but um, it, you see an image, you see an impression of reality, uh, nevertheless. So um, what digital photography has given us is a tremendous, a tremendous gate to possibilities that did not exist, uh, removing hurdles and um, uh, limitations that film photography presented to us. For example, if I were going to take photographs for my projects, I had to go and buy film, okay? And every roll of film would cost me back then um, somewhere around six or seven dollars, 
Um, now, six or seven dollars today is not much, but back then, um, you know, as a student, they would add up. So I couldn't spend a lot of money on buying too many rolls of film. I would take with me one or two rolls of 36 exposure film and take pictures. Um, and every photograph was very precious to me because I knew I had to spend time to develop the film. Um, I had to spend at least two or three hours in the laboratory to develop the film, fix it and dry it. And then look at the negative, not the positive image. Um, make a contact sheet. All of that would take a lot of time. Now, I can do all that in snap of a finger. I can take a picture and look at it immediately, okay? And decide if I like it or not. Or just take thousands of photographs and then look at them later whenever I have time. So um, that hurdle of managing my time and or being very frugal as, as far as spend and invest my time and money, that has been taken care of. So um, digital photography has enabled me to uh, explore more, enjoy uh, my time taking pictures. Um, and the quality of the photographs, if you know what you're doing, and that's what I teach in my class, um, the basics of photography, um, everything that was taught in the past, uh, like how to control um, how much of your photograph is, gonna, is going to be in focus and how much, it, how much of the photograph is going to be blurry, how clear you want the photograph to be. Uh, do you want to show a trace of movement in your photograph? That's motion blur. Do you want to pan an image? Just one object that is moving is clear and the background is blurry. You can do all that and they're not that hard to do if you know what you're doing. And when you know what you're doing, you realize it's relatively very easy um, to control these things. There are only three elements in a camera, um, which is the ISO with the sensitivity of the sensor, uh, is the aperture. Um, there is an adjustable hole in the lens of your camera. When you open it up, there's more light coming in. When you close it, it becomes a small, there's less light coming in. Okay, so with that, you can control your exposure, how bright or how dark your image is going to be. And you can control how much of the picture is going to be blurry and how much of the picture is going to be clear. And then the third element is uh, shutter. So shutter is a screen in front of the sensor. How long that screen is open has to do with how much of light is being recorded on the sensor. Okay. Uh, obviously, once again, if it's open for a long time, there's more light coming in and reg registered. If it closes quickly, there's less light coming in, but then you can snap and uh, capture movement. You can uh, stop motion. So these three elements, that's all it is. Every camera you see, all the um, you know digital uh, uh, buttons and dials and you name it, all of those things in a digital camera, all the menu items, they're all there for you to control these three elements. So the basics are simple, there are only three. So if you learn these three elements um, and you just change one at the time, because the cameras uh, would allow you to do that, the digital cameras are very smart now, they're not dumb like they used to be. Um, they can think for themselves and they could be a good partner 
uh, for you, especially the cameras that that been manufactured last six or seven years. They're wonderful. Um, you decide what elements out of these three you want to change. So if you want to uh, control how much of the picture is going to be in focus, you choose uh, um, aperture priority mode. It usually marked um, with an A alphabet or AV aperture value or AP aperture priority. All of these three are the same. Now, different manufacturers use different terminology, but digital technology is pretty much the same. And the reason they're the same is because uh, different research components, uh, different components are made by different manufacturers and patented to them. So if you want to use that component, you have to use their patent, you have to pay them. And since they're different, like different companies, Kodak, uh, um, you know, uh, Nikon, Canon, Yashica, Olympus, you name it, Sony, Fujifilm, all of these companies, they come up with a, a series of components that they patented to themselves. Now, because the patents and different components run through different companies, so in order for these companies to use each other's patents, they have to work with each other. So they have to have peace with one another. It's good, good commerce. Okay. So, but what happens is at the end, the technology that they're using, all of them are bringing this together. It becomes one. So all they do is just changing the names of different functions in the camera and putting them in different places. But the technology is pretty much the same. I mean, if you um, study history of um, development of digital technology, which is a very short history compared to the history of uh, our civilization or the history of art and, or history of even analog photography, which goes back to 1839 in, in uh, Europe. Um, you know, it's a very short history. It goes back to uh, early 1970s. Um, and, you know, you realize that um, over time, these components were added uh, one by one, and we are enjoying that today. Uh, so uh, I could have lost the um, trace of my thoughts, uh, the train of my thoughts. So I, I, I think what I'm trying to say at the end is that um, what I teach uh, my students is how to manipulate these three factors. And when they learn to do that, um, the only thing remains is um, composition. And that's when we're gonna work on composition. So we work with aperture in the beginning, we work with shutter, and then we work with uh, uh, how to deal with composition. I ask them to keep the ISO at the same place. And, um, you know, uh, um, it, when the students come in, they turn in photographs in the beginning. I ask them to turn in uh, some photographs and you look at those photographs and then you look at the photographs they take at the end of the semester, you juxtapose these two, um, you realize how much they learn. So it's, 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 it's very satisfying when at the end of the semester for, for the student and I think for the teacher, they have something visual, tangible, they can look at and see um, the progress. Because most of the academic courses, the progress is defined with um, exams, okay? So um, we do have a technical exam, but it's a take-home exam. It's basically for you to um, organize your thoughts and put them down in writing. So in the future, you can go back to it as a reference card and study it uh, if you have a question. 
um, it's really for students' sake to um, not forget what they learn in the class. Um, but the actual test is um, the portfolios, the photographs they develop over time and the skills they gain. And I um, give my students um, the opportunity to participate in uh, photography competitions. Uh, we have usually three photography competitions every semester. And um, those who, and I don't choose the photographs. I mean, that's, that's the beautiful part. I use the polling uh, function of La Lima. Uh, and students themselves from both of my classes, they choose um, the photographs that are displayed anonymously. So we, we don't know whose photograph it is. They don't know if it's from their classmates or not. These are photographs that should not have been shown in the class um, previously. So students don't necessarily uh, become biased about um, the student who took the photograph, but they judge the photograph based on its merit, uh, composition and exposure and quality. So every semester, these three photo competitions, I look at these photographs when students submit and the photographs chosen for first, second and third place. Um, I see that um, not only students who submit these photographs, they develop and progress over time, but also students who choose these photographs. The photographs are chosen in the first, early on, the first photo competition. Um, they're more emotional, they're more, um, you know, uh, what is the word for it? Um, more about family feelings and stuff like that, which is fine. But then as time goes by, we get to the third photo competition. Um, they uh, become uh, photo editors. They choose photographs that are technically, uh, not only on t in terms of emotional aspects or human aspects are interesting and important, but um, they're technically uh, uh, very, very rich and um, good skills was used to take them. So um, it's, it's very satisfying in my class when I see the development and progress of uh, students' skills and work. And we do have um, history components early on. Um, I have five modules. Um, we start with module one, uh, which is uh, basically um, helping students get to know their own cameras. And uh, we move on to aperture, setting of the aperture, and, and then module two, uh, shutter. And we then get into composition. By the time we get to module four, um, they, are, uh, they have to be um, completely confident about uh, the basics of photography. So that's what they're going to learn in my class, the basics of digital photography how to control these three elements, shutter, aperture, and ISO. And then when we get to the fifth um, module, it's just developing a presentation of what they've learned in the past and what um, work they collected. Um, one of the components, I don't know if we have time, I want to mention one of the, do we have time? Just a few more minutes? Yeah, totally. We have all okay. the time. Great, great. So um, uh, the components I added to uh, my online classes, you see, um, is it, uh, the use of mobile technology. Okay, so in my face-to-face -face classes, I did not let students use um, their their phone cameras. But then again, you know, um, I noticed that phone cameras are catching up really quickly. I mean, uh, beginning with um, iPhone 10, I see um, potentials of being able to take uh, or simulate at least the uh, what we have in um, uh, traditional 
we can say traditional digital photography now. I mean, using uh, DSLR cameras or mirrorless cameras. So um, iPhones, um, Samsungs, um, other you know uh, uh, mobile phones, um, LG, whatever you Google, whatever you're using now, um, the uh, these manufacturers realize photography is so important to people. It's so um, much of uh, inner part of our society. I mean, people like to see and being seen and show. So these are the um, very important desires that people have all the time. Um, there was a time that photography was considered to be a part of that warrior being a word to see through the people uh, kind of culture but that's not true anymore people not are people today our new generations are not scared of seeing and being seen so they want to show more of themselves and um, that's been on the side of photography imaging digital imaging today and uh, gradually uh, the term digital imaging is going to be used because we are stepping beyond uh, just taking photographs with a camera and a lens. Uh, we are getting into the realm of uh, software photography uh, and uh, simulated images. I mean, just face it, the, the photographs you take with your phone cameras are not, um, they, they would simulate and they would appear to be like taken with professional cameras because they show depth of field. The, you know, with portrait mode, for example, in your um, iPhone cameras, um, you take a photograph of a person, the, fo the face of that person is clear and sharp, the background is blurry. So this was uh, the effect that they could achieve with, um, you know, traditional lenses uh, on our DSLR cameras or mirrorless cameras. Now you can create that effect. It's an effect. It's a filter. It's not a real thing. But who cares? when the results appear to be as attractive as the photographs you take with your um, code by code more serious cameras, who cares if the results are great and you love them, they're attractive, they, they do the job for you. And especially that, um, you know, mobile cameras are now, um, they, they have a much larger uh, storage space you can use cloud uh, technology as well so there's no fear of running out of space um, you can take as many photographs as you want with high quality you're talking about like uh, 10 megapixels um, quality of for each photograph is kind of passe now um, you're talking now about 15 20 24 megapixels photograph that that's something like um, 28 25 or 28 megabytes of information okay and then when you have that much information in your photo photography file if you decide to print that photograph you can make a beautiful you know poster size photograph without having to worry about uh, losing quality okay and that brings me to another subject printing okay printing was the end product in photography in the old days now, printing is um, a luxury. It's a choice you may want to make or not. Most, most of us, you, myself, my students, my, and other teachers and other people, they prefer to um, save space. So keep all of these photographs in digital form. You can always take out your um, 
mobile device or put them on, you know, connect them to your TV and have a um, slideshow of your photographs for your family and friends. You don't have to print them and see them all the time. Now, having that said, I love prints, but um, that's just a subjective love for print uh, photography. At the end, um, when I think about how advantages and how uh, wonderful it is to be able to organize thousands of photographs and be able to access those photographs because of proper organization of labeling. And that's what I teach my students too, to label their photographs so they can find them, they can access the photographs. That's another skill they have to learn in my class. So when you access those photographs, when you want to show them, so the end product may be digital image, but it does serve the same purpose, brings friends and family together, or help you to develop a portfolio that you can share with uh, um, a gallery manager online. You just send your portfolio digitally to your uh, gallery manager. My um, People can participate in um, photo competitions and art exhibitions all over the world. They don't have to travel to New York, New York City, to show their portfolios and get get an exhibition. All they have to do is to contact the um, gallery manager and uh, uh, you know just uh, send them um, their portfolios with some writing and they look at them. If they want to show the work, they contact you. If they don't want to show the work, um, they send you a nice uh, email and they say, well, maybe not now, but we are looking forward to see how you develop your work in the future. So send us more work. Um, so this is this is the way it's become. So digital technology has, um, you know, has many, many advantages that we did not have in the past. So I'm, I'm very excited about what is being presented to us. Now, your next question, I'm going to put it to you, maybe um, where are we going with digital photography? So where are we going with digital technology is that um, the way things are, uh, it seems like that lenses become more of the romantic past, the use of lenses on your cameras. And what happens is that um, you end up um, just allowing, just like your mobile phone, because your mobile phone doesn't have a long lens that you can change the glass elements. It does um, allow some light, a lot of light to come in and registers that light and uh, translates that light to an image based on your program. So it's all software. Now, software technology is taking over hardware uh, of um, cameras. So instead of using lens, you um, develop programs, and there are already programs developed. Um, you use um, programs that would basically um, allow photographers to capture, record an event, just like a video recording. And then they go to their computers, um, they put that recording in the computer, the computer asks you, who do you want to be in focus in this image? You choose the person or the thing you want to be in focus, and you want to Blur out everything else, everybody else. That's going to happen, and it it is similar to you being there taking different photographs uh, of different things at that very moment. So software is taking over hardware uh, in photography. So I, I can easily see that uh, in the future, um, um, the fun of using lenses 
um, is going to be um, just a, a part of our romantic past. It may exist, uh, it may continue to develop, but it's not going to be the main thing. Uh, so anytime you want to think about the future of photography, look at your phone camera. Uh, that's where we go, basically. And is it good or bad? As long as you get the final results and it's high quality, who cares? Sure, we just learn to adjust and adapt, just like anything else in our civilization. Yeah, I really appreciate your view on what technology is providing and the way that we use it to shape our everyday lives in our society. And cameras is a very um, well-used aspect of that. Definitely. Definitely. And anything you do, any job you're going to get into, um, there is most likely there is an aspect of that job you're going to be doing that has to do with imaging. I mean, just think about it. A lot of my students want to get into um, administration of justice. Um, fashion design industry, um, I don't know, you name it, fire science. Um, at the end of the day, they have to work with cameras because cameras have become an indispensable part of our lives. I mean, um, in terms of security, for example, um, if you study how um, Chinese government or Russian government are controlling um, their population, they have cameras everywhere in the society. Now, I'm not talking about it's good or bad, it's anti-American or not, but what I'm talking about is technology. Um, technology in itself is like fire, okay? Fire could be good and used for benign purposes, or it could be bad and used for destructive purposes. So how we use fire is up to us, uh, what we're gonna do with it. But definitely, um, digital imaging has become an indispensable uh, more so today, and it will be in the future of our lives. Yeah. Well, I just took your class. <laughs> oh, please do. I, I don't want to let any student go. I want all of my students, I want everybody to take my class and enjoy photography. And um, that's why I always say, um, not only about my photography class, I think it's important, for example, in my writing intensive um, art appreciation course art 101 it does have a section that is writing intensive i um i'm an avid um supporter of uh, having fun when you write it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be disciplined um, i think when you learn how to write with um, somewhat uh, self-control uh, be able to communicate ideas um you know making prose um, that people can understand um, and opening opening up a very descriptive world in writing. Uh, when you learn that, it's fun. And the same thing is true with photography. When you learn how to control and uh, make the same beautiful image happen every single time at will, that is fun. That's power. And uh, the fact that, like a magician, every time you show the cards and um, the magic you're playing um, you know, is appreciated by others because you get it right. When you get it right, it feels good. It's just like being a magician every single time every time you write something when you get, uh, so um when you think about um, you know the ask the, the fun aspect um you know uh, push over or do whatever you want fun doesn't mean chaos in my opinion fun means when you can 
make things happen. Every time that you feel and think that it should happen, you control the circumstances and make it happen. That's fun. So, um, in my opinion, and I think uh, uh, students uh, should be encouraged to um, have fun when they're doing these things, whether they're writing or um, taking pictures. Well, I definitely want you guys in my class, for sure. No, we're gonna graduate this semester. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, but... <laughs> well congratulations then. <laughs> yeah, yeah good you. for you. What are your plans? What do you want to do with um, your your degree here? So do you, do you have? The, we're all in the AEC course. Okay. So architecture, construction management. Awesome, awesome. So you learn. Do they use CAD still today? Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty good program to use. Um, yeah, it's it's a good branch of knowledge you can get into and hopefully make good living too in the future. Thank you. You're well, welcome. Thank you. Lastly, um, so we have final question. Um, sure. Do you have any advice for starting photographers? For, for like resources, um, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, hmm. Well, um, you don't have to have very expensive uh, piece of equipment to make good photographs. And you hear, you hear this from all photography instructors. I mean, I've never seen a single photography professor or instructor to tell you that you need to have a great camera to take great pictures. They usually tell you that when you learn to control even a basic, very uh, reasonably priced camera, uh, when you learn how to control you and you know where to point and where to be the right place in the right time, you can always make good photographs. Um, so um, I think equipment is important, but it's not, uh, you know, incredibly crucial to making good photographs. It is definitely consequential to the kind of photograph you make. I mean, you cannot make, um, uh, you cannot hold, you know, uh, stop a bullet in the air and take a photograph of it if you don't have the right equipment. Let's face it, you need to have the right equipment to do that. Um, but you can take good photographs of people. I also teach um, photojournalism every spring. This is the first spring that um, my class was not offered because um, the Department of, um, uh, you know, um, uh, what, what is the language arts uh, department could not afford having uh, the so-called boutique uh, class. They call them boutique classes. These are courses are offered every other semester. Um, so photojournalism has been very close to my heart. To me, um, when you learn to take a good photograph, and a good photograph meaning that the photograph is exposed properly, you have the, the areas that you want to be seen and they're light, bright, and uh, they come out that way. The, the areas that you want them to be dark, they're dark the way you want them to be. And then you show people, people uh, in their everyday lives and you capture that humanity that's really beautiful. So, um, you know, I, I only thing I can tell um, I can suggest for starting photographers is, first of all, think about photography to begin with as a hobby. Don't think of photography as a profession. Let time pass and you keep taking photographs. If you feel you cannot live without it, if you, it's just like food, water, air. You cannot live without food, you cannot live without water, you cannot live without air. 
if photography is not like that, don't think of it as your profession, okay? Think of it as a hobby. And there's no reason if you are a physician, if you are an engineer, an architect, um, a nurse, a, a police officer, a firefighter, there's no reason for you to also enjoy photography. I had in the past, um, in my um, non-credit courses that I used to teach at UH Manoa, um, doctors, physicians taking the class, nurses, uh, firefighters, um, police officers. So, and they loved photography, but that was not their profession, okay? So there's no reason for you to think of photography as your profession when you take a basic photography class. Think of it as your hobby. And if you reach that point that you think you cannot live without it, then you may want to think about getting into the profession. Then you have to do serious soul searching and you have to do serious uh, uh, research on the occupations and, you know, in your professional world um, that are available to photographers. Photography could be lucrative as a profession if you know what you're doing and you have right connections. Networking and right connections are really important, just like any um, studio um, job painting, drawing, uh, sculpture. And it's not all art. Um, you could make uh, good money just taking photographs of jewelry, um, food photography, another branch, photojournalism, if you want to get into that, uh, portrait photography, wedding and um, you know party photography. Uh, you, there are so many different branches um, that you may want to get into. But if you want to establish a family, you want to be a family man, or woman, and um, you're thinking about having um, enough income to support your family and um, make their dreams come true, then uh, you have to think about photography as a profession and how much money you can earn and what are the requirements, um, what are the challenges you have to face, and if you're willing to uh, sacrifice a lot of things before you get them. Um, just like anything else. So um, you become, uh, I mean, this is my understanding. I may be wrong, but if you become an engineer, like my brother did, his son, um, or you become a doctor, like one of my cousins, uh, you know that you make enough money to, um, you know, to form a family and live happily ever after, because there's always job for you. But when you want to become a photographer, you have to think about a lot of other things that you would not normally think of uh, when you become an engineer, architect, or uh, doctor, physician. So those are the hard questions that a lot of times um, instructors, um, especially art instructors, don't um, talk about. It seems like they feel uncomfortable about talking about money because we always think about art and um, philosophy and uh, uh, spiritualism in, uh, on the same plane. Um, they could be all that, but um, there's real life too that you have to think about and how much money you're going to make and if it's going to be enough for you to have a family. Um, that's, that's something you should think about very seriously. I hope this helps, um, you know, whatever you're doing here. Um, I hope that uh, it helps our students. And I think you guys are doing a fabulous job. I'm very proud and very uh, honored to be asked to um, be in your program. And I hope um, this achieves the goals you have in mind. And uh, I thank you for this. Thank you very much. Thank you for sharing your perspective on a lot of these topics relating to technology and just um, your career goals and hobbies and just life in general. And it's just a really good perspective. My pleasure.
Uh, okay, so if you guys are interested in making a difference for Honolulu CC, please consider becoming a student leader like all of us here. Make sure to email hccsle.edu to apply. We really encourage everybody to, uh, and we really appreciate everyone's input as an active student uh, for the UH campus. Uh, submissions for the Art and Soul are now open. So if you have artwork that you'd like to be featured uh, and you wanted to have a chance to go in the magazine, please uh, submit all of your artwork to tinyurl.com slash hccartandsoul. Uh, drawings, paintings, digital art, photos, poems, song lyrics, woodworking, sculptures, fashion, cosmetology, and any any form of artwork is welcome. Uh, thank you, everyone, once again, for listening to the podcast. You guys can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Anchor. New episodes are up every Monday. Make sure to visit thekala.net for campus news and events. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at HCC Kala News. Once again, everybody, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Okay.